I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> the Flash. I love you. Thank you. Crashing you into Mr. Wayne. No, please don't. Um, I need you here now, Barry. So you're saying you could travel back in time? But Bruce, I can fix things. I can save people. I can save my mom. I can save your parents. You can also destroy everything. Love you, Mom. I love you, too. So how was it this week? How's school? School was good. Oh, shit. This is mad trippy. Dude, this is catastrophic. This world must die. No! I'm not gonna lose there again. It's not Clark. My name is Kara. I will help you. Interesting groups. Want some help? Wait, he's Batman? You wanna get nuts? Let's get nuts. So the Flash has been a very, very long time coming. Way back when they were talking about doing a Justice League, we were saying then, uh, if you're doing Justice League and you're trying to do the MCU thing, do a series of movies about your Justice League and then do a Justice League. But they were just rushing to get to that Justice League as fast as they possibly could. You know, obviously... Back in the mid-2000s, they were this close to uh, doing a George Miller Justice League, which we talked about on a after-school club, uh, which was running parallel with uh, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. And it's like, well, no, what, no man could live at that speed. Having two Batmans? Well, this movie has got at least two Batmans. Ha. And no Robert Pattinson. But he's out there doing his Robert Pattinson thing. He busy. Doing Robert Pattinson <laughs> shit. It's fine. People love that film. It's important to remember that Ezra Miller has appeared as the Flash in as an actual leading character in precisely one movie, Justice League. There are two versions of that movie. They had cameos in Suicide Squad and the Crisis on Infinite Earths by the CW shows. So a film just called The Flash now... It feels like it's coming on the heels of a hundred superhero movies, despite the fact that The Flash was one of the first preeminent superheroes. It feels like Barry, Jay Garrick, Wally West, they've been hard done by on the big screen, especially when they have such a, a, an extremely visual superpower, which is actually used to really good effect in this film. This film is a hot mess, but it's a good hot mess. Okay. Right, so The Flash was directed by Andy Muschietti. He directed it. it, yep. And... Mama. But he's, he's known for horror. He is, and there is a pinch of horror in this. Although I would say he is known for horror with human drama at its core, which is the kind of horror I often prefer. Yeah, and it was written by Christina Hodgson. Do you know what she's written? Bumblebee? Yes. Also, Birds of Prey. 
Also, yes. unnamed Fast XX sequel. So she will be thrown so off that production by Vin, by Vin Diesel. Diesel shortly. Honestly, going in, I was like, okay, considering the pedigree of who's making this, there are better odds than normal that it will be a DC film that I actually like. And it ended up ranking in the top five for me. Ah. So we begin with Barry waiting on a rude sandwich man. And it's, it's one of those scenarios where it's like, I just need to get my sandwich quick. I've got to go to work. And the guy's like, you can't rush a sandwich, bra. And it's like, okay, thank you for your time. Sorry that this is your business model. Goodbye. Good luck with this. And he's just sort of yammering away. Barry goes to the bathroom because... Uh, Alfred phones him and says, oh, it's Jeremy Irons still, because this is the uh, the Affleck Batman universe. There's an uh, out-of-control truck and some guys with machine guns or something, and he's like, couldn't you call Superman? He's off in the Sudan fighting things. And that's all the Henry Cavill we see, like his back. Uh, and yeah, it's Henry Cavill really not in this one, which is a shame, mm. since this is effectively a uh, farewell to Snyderverse. Or at least things are going to be different from now on. This is what we've been suspecting for a while. Uh, What about Wonder Woman? Oh, she's doing this, that, and the other. What about Batman? He's kind of dealing with some stuff, but I don't know if we can get hold of him. And it's kind of like there's a meta to that. Like, can we get Aquaman in this movie? Uh, He's off talking to the fishes somewhere. Okay, Aquaman's doing a Fast and Furious. And Wonder Woman? Well, I hate to tell you this. (laughs) (laughs) That's where they are? Honestly, it would not surprise me. They, they, do, they go through a little side door to a different universe and go, this is what I like doing they best. They decided they'd had enough. <laughs> that's, that's how they fake their deaths. They just go to the DCEU. Yeah, they find a portal and they go... <laughs> so it's like, what have you been doing for 10 years, crazy Jason Momoa? I've been in Fast and Furious. No, other way around. Not a, I've what been have, in DC what have Universe. What you been doing, Dante? I've been Aquaman. What have you been doing, Giselle? I've been Wonder Woman. Got it. Uh, at this point, I'll take Shazam, but no one ever talks about Shazam. Dwayne's orders. We finally get to see what the Flash does when he's not in the middle of a hurricane of wieners. Because if you remember, we never really got to see the Flash on the job. No, well, I was. He was just. I think he was trying is he to get a be job in a as a sandwiches? as a dog walker. Which, by the way, back in the the the, 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 the Snyder Cut, why would you try to get a job as a dog walker and be forced to walk at the speed of dogs? That's crazy. That's a really impractical job for Barry. However, seemingly since Justice League, he's gotten Barry's actual job as a forensics en- expert, and he's late for this. Uh, he goes from dog walker to forensics expert. It's, uh, it's He did get that job at the end of Justice League. The dog walking? No, the um, forensics. He went to see his dad in prison and showed him the letter that said that he'd been accepted. At oh, nice. He'd got a job working okay. in the CSI. His dad was Billy Crudup, if you yes. remember, and he is now Ron Livingston, the guy, Mike from um, Swingers, and uh, uh, the guy from Office Space. Yes. Yeah. It's. It, I mean, it's a bit of a step down from Billy Crudup, but okay. Oh, <laughs> poor Ron Livingston. He did well here, despite the fact that I thought he was Kyle Chandler for half the time. <laughs> so, Barry's job here is to run to a building which some guys have been smashing up at the at the basement level, and then they get away in their armoured car, and then Batman turns up on his Bat motorbike, and it's Bat Fleck. And I'm like, are they... Is that just a guy riding a bike that they've superimposed a CG mouth of Ben Affleck onto for Ben... For, for, Ben in real life to phone in his performance, or is he actually going to be on screen? 
there's a lot of that in this. A lot of kind of pieced together stuff. So the Flash's job is to try to like rewire the power to the building while Batman chases the guys with guns. Meanwhile, by the way, Batman's on the bridge. Like it, a, a giant tanker rolls over and explodes and Batman comes roaring over the top on his Batbike. And I'm like, well, for a start, that's from The Batman by Matt Reeves. And secondly, you've done the same thing as in The Batman by Ma Matt Reeves by making us pretend we don't care about the fact that the man driving that big tanker is now very dead. And one assumes, because this is a public road, loads of people crashed into that inferno. But it's okay, Batman. You keep chasing these motherfuckers who keep shooting at you. There is that rule that if someone's racing too fast, the police don't follow them because they're liable to create more chaos and kill people. It is certainly something that they have to factor into their risk assessments. Hmm. Well, Batman doesn't. Batman doesn't have risk assessments. And there's a body count to this one. It feels like just... Mark them with a bat tag and then find them later. This is broad daylight as well. Although, props to them for doing so many of these action scenes in broad daylight, I could see them. And this was in screen three, by the way. I had no choice in this matter. So Barry's running around the place and then the whole building, the skyscraper, starts to collapse and fall downwards. And a lady who's been in the maternity ward trying to... Uh, like she won't, she can't get out because the door, internal electric door's locked, and she's locked in there with all the babies. Then the building goes f downwards, and the window smashes in. And there's this what the Flash literally describes as he looks at them in slow motion, cascading down upon him from far, far, far above. It's a baby shower, and it's like the Iron Man three section where he's trying to get everyone to link together in midair. Once they've jumped out of Air Force One, pulls them all to safety and doesn't lose a single one. Only the Flash here is looking at all these babies, and there's so many. Like, there's a really gruesome sense of humor here. There's like a so many of these are just CGI babies. At no point did an actual baby get involved well, in this. Obviously, <laughs> but it's slow motion, and there's like this baby going ah as it flies through the air with like five scalpels bearing down on it as, as gravity points this way. And there's a baby going, ah, and then and, and going towards an open flame with where there's also what appears to be paraffin or gasoline splashing nearby. There's a dog whose eyes are like, also falling. And it's a therapy dog, says so on the side. Barry's job is to somehow rescue all of these. And from our standpoint on the pavement, it doesn't seem like there's any easy way to do this. You know, when you look at what superheroes have to do and it's like well just join that thing back together and, and then like let the train run over your back Clark with this it's like what the hell is this guy going to do because Barry does point out later on you can't just move people incredibly fast they'll be sick or you'll break something or you have to be very very careful with them and set them down to reduce the inertia otherwise uh, th they will su suffer a severe shock so he, he manages to do it by carefully lining them up. And there's also the, uh, the note of the fact that his watch is going, dee, 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 dee. You're, like, he's been waiting on this sandwich because his metabolism is getting really weak at this stage. And in the middle of trying to rescue these babies, he stops to microwave himself a burrito <laughs> and, uh, and like punches his way into a vending machine so that he can eat uh, candy. And I'm like, thank God you didn't show that it was Snickers and Ho-Hos he was eating in that. Like, cause this is such a crass gag that if you also added product placement to it, it would be obnoxious. But then he saves the babies in, in a particularly visually pleasing way. And I'm like, oh, you know what? 
even if there wasn't any kind of time travel shenanigans with this, I would absolutely be happy watching a Flash movie with this level of direction. It's got the sparkiness of Spider-Man in there. The obvious drag factor being it's Ezra Miller playing the Flash, and this is a troubled individual who has been involved in some really fucked up scenarios in the past few years. If DC had just fucking pulled their finger out and done a Flash film instead of Suicide Squad, then they could have kept Ezra Miller, like, focused on I'm going to be the Flash, as opposed to kind of leaving Ezra Miller twisting in the wind for year after year. Obviously, it's not their fault, then they're not responsible for Ezra Miller's behaviour, but it does feel like this is a lost person. And a not inconsiderable amount of innocent people, and indeed children, have suffered as a result of Ezra being lost. To which Warner Brothers have made the public statement of... Uh, on the bridge after Batman ends up running the entire Humvee off the road, uh, a, a golden lasso comes down, saves him, and it's Wonder Woman, and it's like... And at this point, it was just like, this is really pleasant. And I really like seeing the fact that Batman's trying to stop these guys in one way, the wrong way. And Barry's doing something to try to save lives the right way. And Wonder Woman's there to pick up the detritus. And they do some fun stuff with the um, lasso of truth. And then she's like, okay, that's it for me, movie. Bye. And then flies away. And it's like, at least she was there. It just kind of makes the universe... it regrounds it with these were and are the characters in this particular universe still working together. So we're kind of seeing more Justice League here than we ever saw in any other movie. Including Justice League. Yeah. Including and especially Justice League. Effectively, Al Alfred's doing the um, Watchtower John Jones job here by phoning them all. Mm. So back to uh, Barry Allen's father, Henry, uh, played by Ron Livingston. He's about to be put on the a serious part of the trial for the murder of Barry's mother 18 years ago. That is a that is so much of Barry's life, so much of Henry's life. These things just, they, they take and they take and they take. The American justice system is balked. Mm. Now, you saw the Flashpoint Paradox with me uh, a few uh, weeks ago. We watched the uh, DC animated movie, and I, I read recently an article saying this film is not deserving of the praise it's been getting as greatest superhero film ever. Uh, for a start, that's mental. Who's calling it that? It's not. They were also saying it doesn't match up to the Flashpoint story written by Jeff Johns, and it definitely doesn't match up to the masterful DC animated movie. Uh, and we have been ranking them as we've been watching them. And this one was at the very bottom of the list for the longest time. It took the one which ended that particular uh, timeline, the, the Justice League Dark uh, Coming of Apocalypse or whatever it was, the Apocalypse War, uh, where we were just subjected over and over again to our heroes being mutilated and murdered in flashback. And it was like, could you stop, please? Stop killing Billy Batson over and over again? Because that happens in the Flashpoint Paradox as well. An evil Wonder Woman stabs little Billy in the chest and stomach with her sword. And it's like, oh, God. Can, can we not? I, I, I'm, I hate seeing evil Superman. I definitely hate seeing evil Wonder Woman. Because I'm like, that's not even, that's not Diana. Like, there's nothing about this person that makes me think it's Diana who's gone down the wrong path. It's not even the right costume. She's a tall woman with black hair who may as well be a Wonder Woman villain. That's not Diana. And I'm very thankful they didn't pull that shit in this. Because seeing Gal Gadot stab uh, Asher Angel in the stomach... <laughs> 
would have been terrible. Anyway, uh, but yeah, we really did not like the Flashpoint Paradox animated film, so we're not going to suggest that over this. I would far suggest this over that. But uh, that film also did kind of reacquaint you with uh, one of the tragedies that I'm assuming the Grant Gustin flash on the uh, CW network is also dealing with. His mother was mysteriously killed in her kitchen uh, when he was 10 in this, and dad was out at the store buying some more pasta sauce. She was cooking pasta sauce, and she's like, we don't have en- en- enough um, of the tomato paste. We need, I need to get some from, from the green jar, not the red one. And it's a really nice little ha- happy family thing. And it's at the point where Barry is, little Barry, 10, is like struggling with a sum, and his mum, who, by the way, is played by Maribel Verdu. Do you know her name? It's Mercedes from Pan's ah. Labyrinth. It's Luisa from Itu Mama Tambien. She plays it wonderfully and is just sort of brimming with this loving energy. And she says, not all problems have a solution. Sometimes you just got to let them go. And I'm like, okay, so the exact same thing as Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. This is the pivotal point and philosophical statement of the movie, except that in the scenario in Honor Among Thieves, it's a uh, sort of a, is it a dragonfly or something? Uh, yes. It's a big, a big old insect, and the solution is not to try to kill it, and it's like thinking outside the box, it's letting it go. But if you've been set a sum, that does have a solution. <laughs> this is one of the worst things to make that analogy for. Like, you know, if, if you've been given a sum for your homework to solve, just going, some things don't have a solution. It's like, no, Ma, I need to give this particular answer for this particular question. I, I would say that in that example, it's like if you have a page worth of sums and there's one of them that you keep butting your head on, let that one go. Work on the others. I still think it's a very imperfect metaphor in this scenario. I don't use the P word much, but uh, maybe a deeply flawed metaphor. So, yeah, what the actual uh, sequence of events was, uh, Barry then went up to his room to continue his homework, spotted his dad getting home, but heard his mother screaming in the kitchen, his mother Nora, and while it makes it seem from the outside that uh, the father killed her the way he's holding her and she's holding him as she's dying makes it abundantly clear he absolutely did not and i was waiting for there to be a it was a professor zoom all along um and i was waiting for an answer on the who actually killed her but ultimately it doesn't matter and that's fine it was in barry's theory it was someone who broke in expecting the house to be empty found her and panicked and then just got away so clean that there's no evidence that can exonerate his father. They find Iris West, who you may remember from the Hurricane of Wieners, mm-hmm. the lady with the, the, the curly hair who ended up ramming into a Frankfurter truck and then flipping the car and Barry saved her and sort of like touches her face. It's only a little bit more forgivable with what they reveal here, which is that they went to college together, so he does actually know her a bit, and she does actually know him a bit. But even so, like, a guy from college was feeling my face and I wasn't aware of it. That's not less creepy. If anything, it's more creepy. Anyway, she's a very crass reporter who turns up and uh, says, okay, so your, your father's being uh, put on trial tomorrow, and uh, he's Barry replies, well, yeah, yeah, I know, this is our last chance to prove his innocence. And she says, well, you know, every kid wants to believe their father's innocent and then it's like oh that's so hurtful i can't believe i said that and it's like that's the worst thing you can say <laughs> uh, what like you're a reporter what kind of statement do you want to get from this guy would you please piss off every 
kid would, I'm sure, prefer a scenario where they don't have to make a decision as to whether their father is innocent or not. Yeah, um, unfortunately, Christina Hodgson has um, spouted, has some characters spout a few lines that just straight up elucidate the plot very bluntly. Mm. It doesn't work when you're doing really sad, tragic scenarios for people to be sort of going, exposition. And here's my perspective on it. Barry is sourced, I think, either by Iris or by Bruce. Some footage that uh, was corrupted of a uh, in-store camera showing his father actually getting the pasta sauce, but he never looks up and is wearing a baseball cap, so it's not absolutely clear that it's him. So Barry goes back to his childhood home thinking about all of this and sort of has a, a full-on flashback to all of these events that I've just described, and then just goes and runs, and just runs and runs and runs and runs, and it actually... It's almost like, well, it's going to be really difficult for Barry to find a way to go back in time. Actually, it's going to be super easy, barely an inconvenience. He just runs he just real runs fast and then happens. does it. He doesn't know it's going to happen, but uh, it, it makes more sense if you've watched the Snyder Cut because he actually does sort of enter a speed, the speed force in that. Mm. And having that absent from the Whedon Cut does feel like a piece of the Barry story is definitely missing. But either way, he's not trying to go back in time. He's just, it's upsetting him so much and he is so desperate to change things that his running goes further and higher and faster than he's ever done before. And I really love the way they've actually kind of expressed the time travel in this. It's not just like he just runs and then hits 88 miles per hour and then boom, ends up in a specific time. They visualize his life as kind of a, a circular, circumferential circle of cascading memories emanating outwards from him. So the most recent ones are the closest to him, and they stretch back further and further. So we get shots uh, from Justice League rendered in 3D that suggest, you know, this is when he met Wonder Woman, and thank God they didn't show this is when he fell into Wonder Woman's boobs. But... He tried to blank that one out. He starts to sort of make his way through it and begins to work out. You know, this is, he is actually sort of traveling backwards within his own lifetime. Mm. And then he pulls out of it and has to have a real think about it. Iris West comes around and they, they debate the back and forth. And he, he talks about how much he just wants to go back and change everything. Then he talks to Bruce and Bruce goes, this is Affleck Bruce. No bad idea. Don't go back and change stuff. You change stuff, you wreck stuff. And it's like, Bruce, you know a lot about time travel. Also, didn't I come back to try to tell you to not let so-and-so die? And I was really vague. It's all about her. It's about her, Bruce. You know, you keep saying her. You could just actually say her name at this point. I'm just going to give you a cryptic clue. Bye. <laughs> but yeah, ultimately, like Bruce has straight up evidence that Barry's going back and trying to avert this terrible thing from happening actually succeeded. And now that I think about it, the end of the Snyder Cut involves Barry going back in time to undo a terrible mistake that just happened. Right? But, I mean, they should debate that and just have, have uh, Barry say, because I'm, I will have done this in the future, we got to save Superman. He's back in the world and we're better than we've ever been. How can you tell me time travel is bad? And Bruce could say, that was a specific thing that's already happened. You're suggesting trying to do something now that hasn't happened, and you will literally change the world, the present as we stand. That would have been a good sort of back and forth, but instead Bruce is just sort of slumped, and it just looks like Ben Affleck is so done with being Batman. And I feel like, honestly, 
his their chat here was filmed before the bit on the bridge was even written. Like they did that extra stuff just to sort of give Bruce a bit more presence in the film and a bit more of a, a of a fun action sequence and maybe just some of the Justice League working together. Like like you could have done ten years ago, guys. Uh, because it, it ends there with Alfred going, "Are you coming home for breakfast, sir?" Yes, yes, I think I am. And I feel a kind of a softness for Ben Affleck at the moment. Having just seen the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, we get a really good Holden Caulfield callback in that. And you were crying, I think, mm. uh, understandably. And uh, yeah, Isn't it Holden McNeil? What did I say, Caulfield? Caulfield. Sorry. He's obviously named after Holden yeah. Caulfield. We get a really nice Holden Caulfield moment in that. Which, you uh, said it again. <laughs> well, look at this morose motherfucker here. <laughs> Smells like somebody shitting his cereal. <laughs> Bung! Holden McNeil, perennial traveller on the path that's not the one of least resistance. Can't you just call yourself Holden Caulfield? It would make my life so much easier. If you could, yes. <laughs> anyway, so, but Affleck here is just like, Barry, don't fuck with time. Seriously. Like, there's, tell me one movie where fucking with time hasn't created problems, at the very least. <laughs> And sort of come to the conclusion, maybe we should just leave it. Like, Back to the Future. We're going to be referencing it several times in this movie. but uh, And then Barry could say, yeah, but Marty actually did change things for the better. But not things that he was trying to change. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, you're in my territory now when it comes to uh, time travel stories. Having had to write one myself where I was trying to make the physics of it actually work so it had its own t internal consistency, I thought, this is hard. And I've heard complaints about, hang on a second, if Barry only goes back 18 years, how is he changing Henry Cavill's Superman arriving on Earth? And in that lies a tale, folks. What I will say is Bruce seems to know a hell of a lot about time travel. Okay. I, okay, I will say this. Are they fishing for ideas from Miguel O'Hara's notebooks? It's sad that this film came out uh, less than two weeks after uh, Across the Spider-Verse. Because there's so much in Across the Spider-Verse that it just accomplishes seemingly effortlessly. And it feels like this movie's really, really having to try to just wrest back all of this stuff from a very difficult situation and a very snarled series of movies. So let's have a quick recap uh, before we go to the actual meat of this, the act two, Barry does in fact fuck with time. Uh, in 2013, we had Man of Steel, which a lot of people were very kind of kind to the first time around. They were like, you know, I like this Superman. You know, this is good. I like Henry Cavill in this. These bits made me tear up. You know, I'm, I'm not so good about the whole, like, 2009-11s all at once in Metropolis. But, uh, you know, it, it was good. There's room for the future. And I feel like because we were so kind to Man of Steel, it, it kind of encouraged them. And they doubled down hard on some of the worst aspects of it for Batman versus Superman in 2016. Then there was the Suicide Squad, which brought us Jared Leto's Joker, but also Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. So, you want to talk the about Lord your... giveth and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, in 2017, we got Wonder Woman, which was a great debut for like to actually give Gal Gadot an actual film that we got behind her on, and it hasn't happened since. Ah, <sighs> at the end of 2017, we got Joss Whedon's Justice League. At the end of 2018, we got Aquaman, which was, for me, like, I love this movie. 
I really, really like this. This fits with Wonder Woman, and uh, like it, it proves that DC can, in fact, do really great movies that I like. A lot of people thought it was stupid. Don't care. <laughs> 2019, we got Shazam. The first one of those films, I think, is still pretty damn good. It's got a young energy to it. 2020, just on Pandemic Eve, we got Birds of Prey, which, at the moment, I think is still at my absolute top spot. Maybe Aquaman's higher. It all depends on what happens in this Aquaman 2 film, because to me, The Suicide Squad undid a lot of the ground that Birds of Prey made by James Gunn not even bothering to watch that film, because he's like, I don't want it to interfere with uh, my movie. And Sam Raimi going, I'm not going to watch uh, WandaVision. I don't want it to interfere with my movie. Well, you know what, guys? In both scenarios, this is an ongoing character's development, not examining what they've done in the past delivers us a different character from the one we've just seen making progress you're being jackasses at this point <sighs> then at the end of 2020 we got wonder woman 1984 so absolute top absolute bottom and I, I don't even know how patty jenkins and company did this with wonder woman it is it is a cold mess and it is bad it is a bad 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 film Shortly after that, we got Zack Snyder's Justice League, which a lot of uh, reviewers praised as being significantly better than Joss Whedon's. I felt that it was longer, with a lot more of the ponderousness of Zack Snyder put into it. But it was fine, I suppose, even if it was ridiculously long, until that epilogue where I was like, this is so mean-spirited and spiteful. Let's just reel off a list of all the characters people love now, that are now dead. Uh, so, uh, Aquaman's dead, oh yeah, absolutely. Wonder Woman, oh, dead, dead, dead ski. And Harley Quinn, how she suffered, said the worst Joker who has ever lived. And we've got to not, we've got to stop this evil Superman who then turns up in full Nazi git, just... And, as has been established, a hell of a lot of the actual campaign to get the Snyder Cut made was bot-related. It was Turing yeah. trolls. Yeah. Like, there were a bunch of people who definitely did want it, but the numbers were made up for significantly by people who weren't people, by programs. That is a really fucked up way to get a movie made. It very much is. And I, of all of the things that you can do with fictional characters that are hideously insulting and disrespectful to the original creators. I think repeatedly making Superman a Nazi is up there. Hmm. Unless it's a, a, a scenario that you have absolutely every intention of being able to get out of by making it clear that Superman should be like this, not like this. But that was never Zack's intention. And again... That The end of that Justice League proves Batman's paranoia about Superman in Batman v Superman right. It says, if Lois dies, he's going to kill us all. Well, yeah, generally it seems to be folded into stories whereby it, it is in fact inevitable that Superman will become a Nazi if XYZ happens. Yeah, an ubermensch, if yeah. you will. Which, again, considering his origins, is remarkably disrespectful. Yeah, Siegel and Schuster would not be thrilled about that no. recurring motif. I feel like not. And, again, if it was about... If all of the people campaigning, the actual real people campaigning for Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League to be released were genuine about the whole... It's about allowing artists to have their vision 
made whole, allowing these things to be put out there to 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 not curb the vision of directors like this. Where were they in force when the Batgirl film was shelved for tax reasons? They were nowhere because inciting dissent about that does not further anybody's advertising revenue or whatever. If anything, a lot of them got behind David Zaslev himself, the one who shelved it. This is what happens when you go woke. He's the one who's going to bring us to the go woke, get broke mecca of the future where we put all the wokeness in the vault and we only push forwards. Okay, he's going in the box with Ron DeSantis. (laughs) I have a box over here for all the people that I plan to push into the sea. Now, I know there's a bunch of people out there listening who actually did like the Snyder Cut and aren't horrible people. That's fine. That's absolutely... Yep. Nope. Not... It was was not really my cup of tea and then it became my little cup of poison at the end. But there's no reason you shouldn't like it. After Snyder's League, there was The Suicide Squad in summer of 2021. We still weren't really back yet, and nobody turned up to see this one. They also released it simultaneously on HBO Max, so everyone's just like, I'm just going to stay home and watch it there. It's cheaper. In the in the long run, I can get more people sat down watching this thing. And uh, yeah, Suicide Squad. No Joker as well. Then there was Black Adam a year later in 2022. We've just talked about that. Then there was Batgirl in 2022, written by Christina Hodgson. No, there wasn't. It got shelled for tax reasons. Then there was Shazam! Fury of the Gods earlier this year. It seems like so long ago. And then, now there's The Flash. And coming up later in August, we got Blue Beetle. And then at the end of the year in December, we got Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Both of which, at least Aquaman, seems to have its roots still in the Snyderverse. Jason Momoa's Aquaman. Not sure about Blue Beetle. We know that a Batman exists in his universe, but very little else. And it looks like great fun. So... Don't bats eat beetles. (laughs) Batman's a fascist who eats beetles. (laughs) Okay, so Barry decides, fuck it, and runs through time because he works out that after looking at the... uh... He looked back at the history of the DC Universe and went, look, I can't make it any worse. Honestly... You're not wrong. <laughs> but don't fuck up time. You'll mess up this great thing we got going here. Oh, miss all this? So he runs back through time and he works out that he can actually change things by just putting a jar of pasta sauce in his mother's grocery basket at the supermarket a few days earlier. And it's such a beautiful little, we're just going to do this one thing. And again, it reminds me of Back in Time Plus Space. And I was like, Hodgson and company have really thought about this. So when he does that, he's just kind of taken aback with the fact that he's being presented as an adult man at 28 with his mother as he remembers her, but he sort of, you know, breezes past her and then goes back into the Speed Force and then this doomsday-looking motherfucker turns up and punches him out of the Speed Force. I'm like, what, there's something else in there? We're going to talk about that? No. And Barry never talks about that again. I'm like, that's got to be something though, right? That's one of those tattoo ticks, the, the guardians of the, uh, the Speed Force, that you fucked with things and you're not supposed to fuck with them. 
Anyway, gets punched out uh, at his house after seeing some of his new memories turn up. So it's like his parents going, yeah, it's your 18th birthday. Both his parents blowing, you know, blowing the candles, you know, <laughs> presenting him the candles for him to blow on his 18th birthday. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. So he's now got more of a, of a life with his parents. And he gets punched into the area just outside his house, goes inside, his mom's there, and it's like, Mom, you're alive, oh my God, this is fantastic. And it actually really, they're, they're nicely shot sequences, and I, because they'd already done the work of, of establishing a connection between these characters, it felt like something was being achieved here. And uh, she and his, um, Barry's father are like, you look old, and you changed your clothes, you're wearing like, stolen off a, a not even a washing line, stolen off some old people clothes, <laughs> incredibly fast. <laughs> He uh, looks through the window and they're like, why aren't you at school? And then this scumbag Barry across the street kicks over a garbage can and is like, woo, there, and then comes on into the house and then Barry rushes him upstairs and says, okay, uh, and then explains everything that we've just, like everything I've just explained about the DCEU to date to this bozo. Barry too is a chump. He's a twit, and he's had uh, he, he's not been shaped. Uh, Br- Bruce's point, Affleck's point was, we are shaped by our scars. Mm. Uh, like, don't go back and change that. You'll change who you are. And Barry, like, fuck that. I want my mum to be alive. But as it turns out, this Barry has had a very easy pampered life and is not very on the ball. He's like, blah. And honestly, I was expecting from seeing the trailer that this was going to get annoying... And I was never going to let go of this conceit that it's two Ezra Millers talking to themselves. But I actually honestly forgot it really soon because their personalities are so different. And we've got older Flash, Barry One, playing straight man now to this nincompoop younger self. Like, did I used to be this much of a twit? It's I'm reminded of uh, Buzz Lightyear and other Buzz Lightyear in uh, Toy Story 2 when uh, yeah. there's this, you know, the, the, like the fresh Buzz straight out of the box who doesn't really know Is what's that going what on. what I used to sound like? Please tell me I wasn't this deluded. <laughs> so, it, you know, if it's taking its cues from Toy Story 2, fair dinkum. That's for our Australian listeners. <laughs> then uh, there's a roll of thunder and Barry 1 realises, oh shit. And it's because Barry 2 has been like, oh, do that thing, like put me in a blanket fort really, really fast. And um, I don't, personally, if I met my own duplicate, I know what I'd be doing for at least the first 20 minutes. What? <laughs> it's, it's just onanism by that point. <laughs> anyway, tell me you wouldn't. Look directly into my face and tell me you wouldn't. What, if I met you and your duplicate? Well, I wasn't even talking about me and my duplicate. I just mean your duplicate. Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, there's a roll of thunder. It's like, oh my God, tonight's the night. You're supposed to get struck by lightning and showered with chemicals. And other Barry's like, what? So he, they run to this lab, which is not where other Barry works. And he gets sat down in a uh, chair and is like, dude, bruh, I am not happy with this. So uh, because of a, another lab-based accident, the lightning strikes through Barry 1, hits Barry 2, and makes Barry 2 flash-powered, but depowers Barry 1, so we've got another problem for him to deal with, which, again, I like time travel scenarios where it's like, and now there's this problem to deal with, and now there's this problem. And the idea of... That feels a little bit like, and I don't know if they actually go into this, but the speed force cannot exist in two beings in the same place at the same time. 
You know, we get some back later. Okay. <laughs> it, it's a good idea, but Professor Zoom suggests otherwise. True. Remember true. the, the yellow-colored covered yeah. flash? And significantly, Barry 2 wears a yellow tracksuit jumper all the time. Ooh. He's very much identified by yellow. Wearing, like, yellow jeans, yellow trainers, yellow T-shirt, yellow, yellow watch. Jeans? He's got Where yellow he hair. Those? He had yellow eyes. It's not quite so much, but there's a lot of yellow there to tell you apart. So you got, like, re- regular Barry 1's a lot of red, Barry 2's a lot of yellow. I'm like, I've read a comic book or two. I know what this is. Was he that fucking thing inside the, like, the thing that punched Barry 1 out? But that doesn't make any sense because, and yet in the Speed Force, all time is relative. Yeah. But I was like, you are my number one suspect for Professor Zoom. Anyway, so, what? but it's neat because you've effectively got the power set of a superhero in one person and the modality and intentions of a superhero in the other. Either way, it's a mess, much like the movie. So shortly after that, Barry 1 is trying to teach Barry 2 how to use his powers responsibly. And so we also kind of get an origin story because we've got all of like Barry 2 is just like oh my god I can flash stuff all over the place so even though he's got a uh, Ramirez style mentor teaching him how to Highland flash style he's like my god a Highland flash is what they made Darth Vader's lightsaber hilt out of (laughs) sorry that was peak nerd it will never get more nerdy than that folks that they kind of sneak under the wire an origin story. And because it's playing with time, we, like they keep it moving. It's very brisk, for which for a Flash film you'd hope for. At least until it gets to the tail end of Act 2, which Act 2 is very long in this. And I started falling asleep in the scenes that I'm about to be talking about. Which surprised me, because I was, I, I, like a lot of people are coming just for those scenes. Now, bear in mind, contextually speaking, we're having a heat wave in the UK, and I've barely slept in this past week, so I'm going to sleep through a lot of things. I slept through a bit of uh, the Transformers Beast, uh, Rise of the Beasts. Like, it's, it's difficult to sleep through with the cacophony of lasers and grinding metal, but I somehow managed it. I think it's because if it's not going to engage me emotionally or intellectually, I can just afford myself the ability to sleep through that stuff. It's not intentional. I keep like waking up and slapping myself, which was scaring the other people in the cinema because they were like, why is this person slapping themselves? Although I'm assuming my snoring was alerting them to one. <laughs> so uh, Barry One's like, okay, we're in trouble because uh, suddenly everyone's gathering around TVs and who should be on every TV in the world but freaking General Zod going, you have but one day to hand over the superpowered individual. I was like, oh my god, so who can do stuff? Uh, and they look uh, and find Victor Stone, uh, cyborg. He's not cyborg yet, he's just an a American football player and kid in college. What? I like the fact that they at least alluded to, the, to, to him. What? And it just, you know, we're being invaded by aliens. Who's going to save us? A college footballer. He's not cyborg yet, but if he was cyborg, he could definitely have helped. Oh, I get You mean the film looks at him? Yeah. I thought you meant like the authorities were dredging up high school students to throw at this alien. No, Barry <laughs> One starts Googling superheroes. Right. I gotcha. He's like, okay, right. So uh, Wonder Woman, and they only get as far as a, a, a crazy lady in Vegas with that name. And it's like, that made me think... Okay, but you've just raised a really fine point there, guys. Diana was totally around when General Zod turned up, and she went, well, this is not my business. If if the humans get invaded by aliens, I'm still sad about Steve. You just broke the whole DCEU, guys. 
why did you make her wait so long? <laughs> Again, it makes so much more sense if she just goes back to Themyscira and goes, I will come back to the world of men when I feel like it, okay? But it, it doesn't make sense for her to just mooch around not helping anyone. Ignoring global events. And for Wonder Woman 1984 to make a complete hash of that particular scenario. Uh, he calls up Arthur Curry's dad, played by Tamira Morrison, who's actually in fine form in this one. Uh, uh, Barry one's like, did you ever marry a beautiful mermaid or at least, you know, get, get jiggy with her? And Tamira Morrison looks at the sow he married... <laughs> who is not Nicole Kidman, and goes, fuck off, kid, or something to those to that effect. It's like, okay, Arthur Curry never lived at this point. What the hell? What have I done? And at the point where Kal-El is supposed to show himself, he's not. So uh, uh, Barry One's like, I've really screwed something up here. I don't know quite what's going on. So then Barry One asks Barry Two, what about Batman? And Barry Two's like, oh shit, Batman, I remember Batman. It's like, there was a Batman? Yeah, there was. He used to be in Gotham City. And so they go to... Wayne Manor. But it's not just Wayne Manor, and it's not the Wayne Manor, I think it's not the Wayne Manor that was in uh, Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman, the one that had burned down. It's the Wayne Manor from Tim Burton's 1989 Batman film. Right. Okay. Now this kind of works for me. Okay. Because what that suggests is that by... Okay, there is a version of time travel which is not actually time travel at all. Mm -hmm. It is finding the universe where the thing that you want to have happened happened and just jumping sideways into it. In this scenario, he actually made it happen by putting some tomato paste I, in a no, basket. No, 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 I get that. But, like, that may be the, the action that allowed him to then jump into this universe. So but he's in, jumping dimensions, but in not the time. Version of, and time. In the version of the universe where his mother did not get killed... This is the version of... The, this is the old DC where they had Michael Keaton's Batman, but there was never a Wonder Woman. There was never a Superman. There was a Superman. There was never an Because Aquaman. when George Clooney's Batman says, this is why Superman works alone. Ah. Okay. Well, but then we're on to, like, Keaton's Batman and Clooney's Batman being in the same universe, which they may not necessarily be. They may not necessarily be. Okay. So <clears throat> when they get into this... Uh, old abandoned man. It's it's quite sweet for uh, fans who watched that. I mean, this is definitely for men who have a lot less hair than they have Batman comics. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> myself included. And um, you do uh, not have less hair than you have Batman comics. I don't know you haven't seen my digital collection. <laughs> and. You know, it's it's like a treat for fifty year old men to like, and Kevin Smith in particular, be like, "Oh shit, yeah, look at that!" Like you know, they're walking through the King of the Wicker People museum thing. What? That means Kevin Smith created this universe, the Batfleck universe, by wanting Ben Affleck to be Batman. Kevin, it's all your fault. Kevin's the Watcher of this universe. <laughs> anyway. They, get, they, they snoop around Wayne Manor, which actually has music playing, and it's got 25 or 6 to 4 playing by... Who sang that? By Chicago. It's a fucking fantastic rock song. And they're snooping around the place. Then they get to the stove, and there's some spaghetti cooking. And I'm like, is, is Ryan Gosling going to walk in and beat the shit out of Dave Bautista whilst being thrown through a wall? 
And yes, technically, what happens then is this crazy old wizened, like, Nick Nolte looking, ah, goddammit, guy with like long grey hair leaps out of the cupboard where he's been hiding and starts to trash the Barrys. And Barry, too, with his flash speed, is like, I'll just move out of the way of this thing that's being thrown at me. Nope. Uh, Whereas Barry 1's in real trouble, and they're getting thrown all over the place. And then it becomes apparent through this spry old dude's behaviour that he's still got it, and it is, of course, Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne, who used to be Batman, and then cleaned up Gotham, and it's actually a really safe, nice place now, and has just been whiling away his time post-Alfred, because, of course, Michael Goff's Alfred would have died a long time ago, and never meeting Selina Kyle again? That's sad. I would have loved to see a picture of him and Michelle Pfeiffer getting married. Uh, anyway, anyway. But uh, it's it's very much a kind of, uh, yeah, I'm Batman. I get the fuck out of my house. Like, you know, don't. I, I know what you're saying. General Zod, don't care. I can't really do anything right now. I was Batman, da 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 It's the usual yeah, kind of... Yeah, to the name. It's the usual kind of come back, be the Luke Skywalker... Uh, guy. I'm, I'm assuming the dudes are going to be all so happy about this, even though they hated the fact that Luke was exactly the same thing. I mean, it, the, the climax even takes place at the end in the same salt flats as uh, as the end of uh, Last Jedi, folks. Very easy to do that thing on a green screen as well. Barry and Barry go down into the Bat Cave and start poking things. <laughs> without Bruce's permission, and uh, start using his back computer. And there's a lot of Benjamin Wolfish did the uh, score. He also did Blade Runner 2049, so he has scored that scenario twice. Okay, I know why these universes can't all overlap, because then Nicole Kidman is both Aquaman's mum and Batman's girlfriend. Yep, and also the Wasp's mum and Ant-Man's wife is also Batman's ex-girlfriend. And both Batman of them, gets around. As we've said, both of them were found grey-haired with sort of scaly old armour, lost to time. Aquaman did it better. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, Benjamin Wolfish also did the scoring for It, which explains you know, exactly he's got a great relationship with Andy Muschietti, uh, but also Shazam, so he's got a great relationship with uh, DC, or at least a good one. Um, and Keaton's Batman was supposed to turn up in one other production. Batgirl. Yeah. Sharon's grinning her teeth. Batgirl was originally meant for HBO Max TV. And it was made at a time when they didn't know whether the cinema was going to be opening up again properly. So they made it look like TV stuff, like CW stuff. So it's not cinematic enough. So they they trashed it, or at least Zaslev trashed it, because he was like, this is not something we could put out in the cinema. It can't compete with modern day blockbusters. Whereas Shazam 2... The most boring parts of it were all the flying around on a dragon. The, all the cinematic stuff was boring as hell. All the actual drama stuff, which is absolutely perfect fit for TV, was the best stuff. People like Zaslev should not be allowed to make big movie decisions. They are terrible for the industry. And we won't even know if Batgirl was ever all that good or not. My suspicions are probably not, because if it had been good, they'd have found a way to make it happen in some capacity. Or not, I mean, I don't know, I just, I feel like, at least with the Snyder Cut, you had the feeling that, like with the Donner Cut of Superman 2, that at some point you could come back, get that footage together and do a director's cut. With this, not releasing it at all puts it in a small category of films that have never been released. Anyway, but the idea of him being, of Keaton's Batman being kind of a mentor to this Batgirl, 
God damn it. God fucking damn it. It did say, however, that he's in the in the notes that he's from an alternate universe where he was Batman, because we've also got J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon, who is not, on his worst day, Pat Hingle. I, I missed uh, the end of Law and Order. Who was it that killed them in that episode? Uh, it's Eckhart, sir. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so J.K. Simmons is not that version of Commissioner Gordon. But I, I don't know. We don't know what happened in Batgirl. It would be nice if they could make it in comic form so we'd at least know what happened there. And that's, that's what you do. You make a graphic novel of the thing that couldn't be released. Like, uh, Richard Donner actually got to preside over a uh, a short Superman run where it was, what would I have done after Superman 2 if I could have done a Superman 3? I love things like that. Not Superman 3, that's what. Well, yeah. No, that was that was Richard Lester and that was the Salkins just going, we want to make Batman Superman more silly. People, the public love that. They love silly Superman. We don't. Okay, you have it, Canon Films. What are you going to do? Well, the public loves silly Superman. So they're hanging around the cave, and eventually Keaton's Batman comes down in a kind of a... Says, if it's the only way to get you kids out of my basement, I'll help. Uh, but they, before they go, they, they replicate the uh, conditions of that lightning strike scenario, which, again, I think this was actually in Flashpoint. In, in the animated version, and I think in the comics originally, it wasn't Bruce Wayne, but Thomas Wayne, mm. played by Johnny Lee Miller, TV's... Sherlock from um, Elementary, uh, as this grim old Thomas Wayne who was avenging his dead wife and dead son, Bruce. And he was alcoholic and sad. And the best part of this is that he writes a message to give to uh, Barry to take back to our Bruce. And it's enough of an impactful message, which we don't get to see what it actually says, that it makes Bruce cry, which we never usually see. That was a really good moment I did, in an otherwise horrible movie. I did like that, and it does fit with the context of the, the rest of the theme of the story, which is that it, it can be enough to know that the person you lost is alive and thriving in another universe without you having to get yourself to that universe to be with them. Mm. I've certainly taken elements of that and put them into New Century, specifically the later books. Yeah. So uh, Barry, too, makes himself a kind of a, a... Because it becomes apparent that when the Flash runs, his clothes burn off. Instantly. Instantly. Uh, he has to wear the, the specialised suit, which they do show popping out of the ring. And, uh, you know, it, it reduces in mass and then it it, it becomes full-sized and he gets into it really, really fast, faster than we can see. But this... I mean, there's worse ways of doing that. It could be the ring projects a hologram. You're actually naked. It's just that no one can see it. I feel like that's what Ryan Reynolds' Green yeah. Lantern is. <laughs> so he was just flying around tackle out. That whole time. Jesus. i got to watch that movie again. <laughs> Don't. Don't. <laughs> it's not worth it. Not even for Ryan Reynolds naked mm. is it worth it. But this Barry 2 makes himself a bat suit flash costume, like saws off the ears, spray paints it red. It looks like a mess. And I'm thinking, that would actually make me run less fast yes. if I was wearing it. It it's looks so clunky. Very rigid. I don't know if you can remember the actual fighting abilities of Keaton's Batman, but he was pretty stiff. Let me tell you. And in this, my God, is he limber. Like, he is all over. He's fighting as well as Ben Affleck's Batman in uh, both this film and uh, Batman v Superman, when he's trashing all those dudes. 
less fatally, there's less blood splatter and explosions, people being shot. But he is just like, he's limber. Like the, the fact that Michael Keaton's 70, it's just about believable when like, because he's got such presence to him that he would be able to kick this much ass. But obviously it's a stuntman doing really, really well. My guess is they use the same stuntman for other Batman as well. So you'd be like, in every universe, he's just this badass. Okay, so as you may have seen from the trailers, uh, it's not Kal-El in this, it's Kara Zor-El. It is a Supergirl who flew from Krypton instead of uh, Cal. Although Cal was also sent off as well. And Barry One asks very legitimately, okay, but I only went back 18 years, how can I possibly have affected that? And Batman schools them using spaghetti by going, you think time is a straight line. Uh Uh-uh. Time is more like loads of interlaced spaghetti strands and some of them are going to conjoin with each other there's going to definitely always be parallels but uh, and he effectively says it's a bunch of wibbly wobbly timey wimey dimensionally wenchiny type stuff so it actually works both ways if you change something in the past that then has a ripple effect that changes things further in the past and changes things in the future as well mm-hmm. i'm like you know what as far as t- the temporal physics go I'll take there it. Is, I think there is actually a degree of logic to that because if you think of it in terms of if you go back in time and change a very significant effect uh, event, sorry, then like where a pasta sauce is, the um, the well, obviously that's not the event that he's having. yeah, but everything comes from this fucking dolmio. Okay. But the um, the whole thing with the river theory in um, Back, to the Back to the Future, whereby the river will try to right itself. If you change something that is significant enough that other stuff would ha- that happened before it would have to have been different to lead up to that event. So the changing of the placement of the ragu. <laughs> For that <laughs> to be in her basket. Yep. Somebody who knew what the lack of that pasta sauce would lead to mm-hmm. had to be there. You know, I actually accepted it two minutes ago and you've talked me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Anyway. See, I was about to come to, are they being like humorous about the fact that it's pasta sauce and he's explaining with spaghetti? Well, yeah, I think. I, I, I don't think that's a mistake. It's Sasha Cal uh, as uh, Supergirl, uh, who herself sounds like a comic book character. And she's stern. So I guess she fulfills all the criteria for being Superman in, in this particular universe, or Supergirl, I, sp- I suppose. You know. She's been kept in a Russian experimental laboratory for God knows how long, so she's barely verbal. And uh, they bust her out of this place and she turns into a cartoon, flies around killing dudes. And then they get back out and she gets her power back from the sun. I like the fact that Barry 1 goes, take it to the roof to Barry 2. Like, you know, just let her get some sun. And she recharges that way. And then uh, a Supergirl costume just happens to be there. And it's like, that that has to come from... You can't just have that there. Cut out the part of the movie where she gets that costume and then she's suddenly wearing... What the fuck? Anyway. Apparently she was also supposed to be in, or at least hinted at, uh, in um, the Batgirl movie. So it was going to be... It was around about the time that um, 
DC were like, no, 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 if we have Supergirl instead of Superman and Batgirl instead of Batman, like, you know, we can really push forward with this progressive soup. Flash Girl instead of Flash Boy. Um... Again, sure. I, I, was, I was happy to watch this stuff. And I, I'd, I'd imagine they were probably looking at the, uh, the numbers on the CW shows, like the Batwoman and uh, Supergirl specifically having kind of a heat together when they finally met. And we're like, well, let's just do that then, because the whole Batman versus Superman thing is really not working. But then they abandoned it. So many of these problems are them trying something and then abandoning it. So it's not, we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. It's, we've tried everything, but we've never been able to maintain with anything because we're so reactive. We keep scrapping everything. It's like the Sonic team. They make something good, and then they trash the engine and make a whole new engine to make a less good Sonic game. So, uh, Batman, in his spaghetti warnings, uh, tells Barry that if you fuck with time too much, you're going to start having worlds colliding. And I'm like, okay, so, looking forward to when that happens. So, they go to fight General Zod and his dickheads, so uh, Batman's in the Batwing... Supergirl's flying alongside, and the two Barrys are there, kind of acting like a quarrelling married couple now. And they go to this infinite uh, salt flats plane just outside uh, New Mexico. I'm assuming where they were... I I don't know. I don't know why they're in somewhere so dull to look at. But at least everything's well lit, because the sun's shining down on on everything. And Batman looks odd in this particular scenario. He's flying around with this cape. It's not his environment. It's not. He he likes the shadows, and there are no shadows out here. They fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. The Zod and then the Ursa-type lady. I don't know if it was the lady who was in the original Man of Steel come back to do it. And then there's that big bruiser guy. And there's a lot of protracted fighting. This is when I took a lot of my snoozing because it didn't really feel like it was accomplishing anything. And then eventually Zod manages to fight Supergirl to a standstill and then stab her with his arm blade and then extracts Supergirl's juice because it's all been about Supergirl juice and in doing so he also tells her slightly beforehand we found your cousin Kal-El and we tried to extract the juice from him but the baby died so now we've got to extract it from you it's you you have the codex to Krypton's blah blah at no point do they actually say what happens if Zod and company get Krypton's blah blah index it's like this world's going to die is it? I mean Yes, probably, because he's going to terraform... It never really felt like enough of a threat in Man of Steel because we knew Superman was there to make sure that it didn't happen and we'd seen all the footage of him punching Zod across a city. So it never felt like a looming threat of what could actually happen. So bringing it back, it... it, Still doesn't. Yeah. So, but but it was a case of, okay, so... Can she beat Zod? No, of course she can't. She's a woman! woman! And that's the thing. Batman dies. Like, he, he tries flying in. Like he gets shot uh, in the Batwing and, and flies directly into a uh, ship with a shield. And Barry is like, no! And other Barry's, like, Barry too is like, definitely, he seems to have quite a soft spot for Supergirl. So they, he runs back in time to try to undo that. So uh, prevents uh, Supergirl's death and then prevents Batman's death. Then Batman keeps dying on the field and Supergirl keeps dying on the field. And Barry 1 is like, listen, calm down, Barry 2. You're not going to be able to do this. And like loads of Kryptonian metal keeps flying through the air and it slams into Barry 2 and gives him like curved 
bits of metal sticking out of his skin, but he's vibrating so fast and he's so out of it that it's not actually killing him, it's just become part of him. And so every time he tries to change time, he ends up with more spikes coming out of him. And I was like, I was right. He's definitely that thing in there and he's becoming him more and more. In fact, he is becoming Professor Zoomsday. They never use that name, but that's what I'm fucking calling him. And it becomes, eventually, the villain you have to face is yourself. And Barry 1 keeps trying to pull Barry 2 back from the edge here. And eventually, Barry 3, who is the way older version, like, I have done this for more lifetimes than you could possibly imagine. Still Ezra Miller doing a pretty good job, even though the actual character is really over-designed. It looks like something out of um, the Pirates of the Caribbean covered in barnacles uh, on Davy Jones's uh, ship. And, and, And it becomes a case of, you have tried and tried to make this universal constant not happen. And in amidst all of this, we get Michael Keaton uh, breathing his last as Batman and telling Barry One, you brought him back, you brought me back. Thank you. And, uh, you know, that's it from me, folks. And then and then just sort of dies heroically on the battlefield. It's a touching moment. I never expected to see that Batman die. But it, it kind of galled me that there's no way Kara can beat... Uh, <laughs> Zod. It's like, you can't just vibrate his fucking head. It always bothered me that Zod and company turn up on Earth after Henry Cavill has spent 28 years absorbing yellow sunlight. He should be super duper starship trooper fucking overpowered relative to them who've only just stepped out of their dick ships into this sunlight. They should be like, I'm feeling stronger than normal, but not Superman levels. And yet... Not only has Kara been on Earth absorbing yellow sun, she literally can't beat Zod in any reality. That pissed me off. Mm. And she's got all the power. She's like, nah! And, you know, I, I feel like she could also do some talking at some point. You know, if she wasn't just... There don't a, be silly. She's, she's a, a woman. woman. Women don't have emotions, and when they do, they're frightening. And they don't talk. And if they do, they shouldn't. Now... Amidst all of this zooming back and forth Professor Zoomsday is doing, now we're finally getting to see other universes. And to a degree, the DC uh, Arrowverse uh, kind of got there first with this. Like, this film was like, we got back Keaton's Batman. But several years ago, they were like, yeah, we got the guy who played Sidney Knox in Batman, huh? Beat that. And, you know, they, they couldn't get uh, uh, Adam West because he was dead, but they did get Burt Ward, an old, old, incredibly old Robin. And they did get uh, Kevin Conroy as a live-action Batman, who was an old bastard, and I really wish he'd been a sweet Batman. But he was, like, sort of... He was in the Kingdom Come mech suit thing. And so that kind of laid down the gauntlet of what can you folks do with the cinema that we couldn't do? You know, they got John Constantine to meet Lucifer from two different networks and go, you're a wanker. You're a wanker. <laughs> that was pretty much their meeting, folks. So, uh, first that off... That actually scans. First off, I've been waiting, like, are they going to be able to get Grant Gustin in here? If they did, I didn't spot him. That's the TV version of Flash. Are they going to be able to get John Wesley Shipp, uh, who was the 1990 Flash TV show version of Flash? And they do. They've got, like, there's a sort of a slow pan around of, like, a holographic running Flash who turns out to be Jay Garrick because he's got the sort of the Mercury helmet on. And it's like, hey, it's me, John Wesley Shipp. He got to be the Flash's dad uh, in the 
CW show. I'm never going to watch that show. Uh, I watched the whole of season one. I was like, this is really not for me. It, it was nice getting him in there. And before I went out to see this, I saw a Elseworlds spoiler in our Discord saying, blank makes an appearance. And then underneath that, Alejandro Vargas had said, ooh, Alex is going to hate that. And I was like... Please don't be Jared Leto's Joker. Please don't be Jared Leto's Joker. That, 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 as I've already said, that is the most horrendous, hateful reappearance of a comic book-related character I've ever seen. So whatever it was going to be... Wasn't going to be as bad as Couldn't be as bad as this. Although a reappearance of Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor would make me go, <laughs> It was actually some jackass who had tweeted... Christopher Reeve's appearance in The Flash, and here's a picture, and Warner Brothers were like, fuck you, and tore down that picture. They, they got on the phone to Elon Musk and said, cancel it, cancel that picture, make it go away. He sort of turned, it's like, a, it's, there's a lot of zooming going a lot on, there's a lot of chaos, and we're seeing into lots of worlds. It's not a million miles off of Spider-Verse when they were showing sort of Tobey Maguire's uh, Spider-Man losing Uncle Ben. I think what people were suspecting was that it was going to be Christopher Reeve turning up and having an actual, how's it going? Like, you know, to doing his, they would reuse the Henry Cavill mouth. Yes. Thing well, they paid a lot for them. And have him talk. But he just turns up and next to him is Helen Slater as Supergirl. And they both sort of look and it's like, meh, 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 meh. Okay, well, now I know that's CG because those two were never on screen at the same time. But <laughs> what was in the 1984 Supergirl movie produced by the Salkins again? Uh, that alluded to Christopher Reeve. Well, she talks about her cousin, mm -hmm. and she meets Lois's sister or something? Something like that, yeah. There's Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen, Olsen turns, turns up, up, and he's like, Hey, how's it going, girls? I'm 34 years old. Yes, you are. I got some wine Go coolers away. out back. <laughs> and you're of college age, huh? Yeah, um... No, they're at an independent boarding school. Jesus, even worse. <laughs> no, there was a big uh, a production still from Superman with Christopher Reeve just sort of posing. Oh, the poster, of course. Because having a poster of your cousin on your bedroom wall is not in the slightest bit weird. I think it was Lois's sister's wall or oh, okay. something. All right, that's a bit better. No, it's not. But either way, it's, it, it was a production still from Superman to yeah. make it feel like these two were in the same world. I would consider this mm. to be the modern-day equivalent of that. It's a big 3D model version okay. of a production still yeah. of... Yeah. Uh, and it's honestly, like, the people were saying they were digging up the grave of Christopher Reeve. Dude, he's in our minds anyway as the Superman. Sticking him up there is just making that visible. Yeah. Also, to say that this is a modern phenomenon when that fucking Bruce Lee monstrosity exists. Bingo. Fucking bingo. Game of Death did this shit very disrespectfully with Bruce Lee actually trying to pitch it as a Bruce Lee movie since there there is some footage of him in that and, and saying, oh, and we've also got this other guy who's playing the same character and a different guy. Mm. Like, we, we talked about that in our Bruce Lee season and it that was horrendously disrespectful and money-grubbing. Yeah. This feels like... We can do this now, but we're not going to have him talk. Like, if, if it was when Luke Skywalker turns up in, in The End of the Mandalorian, if it was just a shot of him not meeting anyone, but just seeing Baby Yoda from a distance, and he doesn't say anything, I'd be like, this is fine, but we are going to need Luke to be able to talk if we're going to have him as a character moving forwards. Okay. That is a totally different kettle of fish to what this is. Yeah. And at the exact same time, I went, oh, Christopher Reeve and that beautiful music. They then did something that I would never have expected. Prepare thyself. Cut to another universe. 
And then there's a mulleted Superman turning around. I went, oh my god, no, is it? It's Nicolas Cage's Superman. <laughs> and he's fighting a giant spider. <laughs> which has. I told you this was Kevin Smith's fault! Which has laser eyes! <laughs> And I was like, that's so playful. That is for like 1% of the audience. Yes, that, that is for Kevin Smith and no one else. So I gave the film an extra star just for that okay. one little reference. So he's fighting a giant spider and turns around and looks and it's still not, it's no more Nicolas Cage than that was uh, Christopher Reeve. It's a 3D holographic photograph of Nicolas Cage in his Superman gear. <laughs> Are you sure they didn't just get Nicolas Cage to put the suit on for a minute? He would have. You know he would have. I'll put the Superman costume on. You just ask. I'll put it on. Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> the problem was getting him out of it afterwards. I was going to be Superman. Uh, now, the after all of this fan service, there's a um, an actual emotional showdown between uh, Barry 1 and Barry 3 with Barry 2 standing off to one side and Barry 1 is trying to convince Barry 3 you've got to stop this, you're destroying everything and you're obsessed with making this a reality. You're, you're, you can't change this. And I was like, this is also the ending to the Lightyear film where Buzz Lightyear was trying to appeal to his grizzled old self who's obsessed with trying to make things right. And it feels like, obviously Toy Story 2 came out ages ago, but it almost seems like this was written and maybe even filmed before Lightyear came out. And uh, while I said that Lightyear reminded me of Lost in Space, it was a case of Will Robinson in that is meeting a naive future version of himself who's serving this disgusting spider version of the so obviously evil Dr. Smith that it doesn't have the same emotional weight as dealing with your future self as a shadowy reflection of your own obsession. Mm. I was like, this is fine, this is good. And obviously now Barry too, with his obsession, is kind of teetering in the middle of, actually, now that I can see what I'll become, this is bad. And then Dr. Zoomsday tries to stab Barry 1 and Barry 2 runs in the way to prevent it happening. So effectively killing that obsession and they both disintegrate as, as it has created a major paradox. Austin Wilden, who loves his comics and has guested on our show before, commented on the Discord that making Nobody Dies, Barry 2's big, he's about to go over the edge line in The Flash, feels unintentionally mean-spirited because that's literally the title of a pretty well-regarded issue of the Wally West Flash series where he manages exactly that. To which my reply was that I didn't take it as mean-spirited, even unintentionally, though notably in terms of informing on character, Barry 2's obsession with trying to save everyone that suddenly bursts into being at the end would make so much more sense coming from a version of him who did lose his mother, as opposed to the goofy dork who never lost anyone until today, when the hot Kryptonian girl he's known for about three hours keeps getting killed. Austin also noted the following, and I said I was going to quote them on this. Thinking on the Flash movie more, a thought cropped up, Barry's kind of the only character. He's the only one with any agency that has meaningful cause and effect for everything else. Bat Keaton doesn't have an arc, Supergirl doesn't have an arc, there's no actual central villain to speak of, the supporting characters in Barry's daily life don't matter, Iris doesn't matter, Nora and Henry Allen only matter so much in that their fates make Barry have a big sad. I'd say that's being a little flippant, but okay. 
All this helps add up to why the movie left me feeling so empty. There's nothing there except two versions of Barry, eventually three, taking part in an extended, externalized metaphor for failing to deal with trauma, but also one that wants to slash has been mandated to check off a massive list of comic book fan service visuals. My response was to largely agree with this. Supergirl doesn't seem to have any plans and owes them a solid, and specifically, like I said, she's there, and that's about it. She's there and stern. The absence of texture on her character galled me greatly. Look back on Back to the Future and see the decisions made by Doc and George and Lorraine, all definitely influenced by Marty, but still coming from an internal place. Though I do think Keaton's Batman does have to make a very big decision to help and thus die. His arc is, no, I'm not going to help you. Yeah, I guess I'll help you. And then he rockets across the salt flats of Utah, bound for the Kryptonian death machine, desperate to take it out and give his life in the trying, only to inevitably spatter harmlessly against the windscreen like, well, a bat. That's Finn at the end of The Last Jedi. <laughs> and Barry has to stop him, not destroying what we hate and also not saving what we love. This is confusing. Now this scenario really ground Bob Chipman's gears, because unwittingly what the film is doing is endorsing Batflex, our scars make us superheroes. Now Barry's motivation at this point is, I've screwed everything up, I've created a multiverse and everything's now collided, I need to undo this. And a facet of himself, Barry 2 and then Barry 3, can't let go, so Barry has to be the superhero and just allow this to happen, and in fact, correct the mistake he made. It's clearly intentioned as a self-sacrifice, like the kind Spider-Man makes all the time. A lot of folks were pissed off with his most recent live-action sacrifice, not telling MJ and Ned who he is to protect them. I still heartily endorse this as a decision he made, and I would hope that it is counterpointed later on by, if you don't have any friends, and you're not risking anything, or connecting with anyone, you become Dr. Manhattan levels of detached from humanity. Of course, in Zack Snyder's eyes, Clark being really into Lois is his greatest weakness, because as soon as she dies, he goes super Nazi. Inevitably, it's going to happen. And I can completely understand why Bob would be this pissed off, because just a few days ago, Across the Spider-Verse emerged with a counterpoint to the assertion that we must have tragedy in our lives. In that, the antagonist is wrong, and we'll wait for part three for him to realize how wrong he's been. But we at least get to see what built up this wrong-headedness in his mind. In this, two different versions of Batman know a hell of a lot more about time travel than the actual time-traveling Barry. It's a right mess in terms of what the film is actually trying to say that is of use to us as non-time travelers because most time travel stories need to be a refutation of our dearest wish to be able to go back and correct something that we feel has ruined lives. Because time travel is impossible, they give us the perspective of playing out that scenario. But here's the other thing. The entire movie hand waves causality by going, changing the geographical placement of a jar of pasta sauce 18 years ago affected events on the planet Krypton 40 years ago. And it's 
very rare that any time travel movie will actually go to the lengths of saying, oh yeah, it, it affected things even in the past as well. Untoward things you can't possibly know about. Which pushes it even further from any kind of solid point that can be made about acceptance of death. This jar of tomatoes is way too important. It's the linchpin of all reality. And that is absurd. Still, having said that, it's better than a jar of Granny's peach tea. I just realized that! Ah! No, 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 wait. I'm sorry, because this is the best scene in the movie, and let's oh, just yeah, take right. it you're back totally a little right. bit, dude. This is the best part of the movie. She's like, all right, Superman, now I got a laundry list of stuff to accuse you with, now let's just get right down to, to reason being Superman at... And you're like, what the fuck? And she's like, you follow her gaze and she's looking and there's a mason jar on her desk filled with piss. And it says Granny's peach tea. And she's like, because another thing, problem being. And then Congress explodes. And she realizes she's looking at the jar, the jar of piss. A jar of piss is a plot point in a Superman movie. Here's a question. How did he, who got that jar of piss into Congress? Big question. Like, oh, uh, oh, this is, this is, this is a a glass for the senator. It's a creepy mason jar that smells like piss. Could you please put that in front of her? Yeah, there's no top on it, so you can definitely smell that piss. Mm. The honorable senator next to her is just like, is she drinking piss during this meeting? I think we need to stop. I'm gonna, do I have a gavel? Can I use hey, my hey, gavel? Hey, I'm sorry. Am I the only one here who's a doomsday prepper? <laughs> Better get used to that taste now, because when the water supply dries up, you're going to be drinking it too. <laughs> Everything else is just in flames or already ashes. Slash, kind of, some of it's covered in piss. <laughs> I guess that piss was flash boiled, though. Well, it went right in Holly. That was the last thing she tasted, aside from fucking soot. <laughs> Was fucking Jesse Eisenberg's piss. Congratulations and welcome to Superman 2016. From the writer of Rise of Skywalker, tickets on sale Friday at Fandango.com. By comparison, director Andy Machete and scriptwriter Christina Hodgson handled the human drama in a way that was more relatable than the way the DCEU began. Barry goes back to take the source out of his mother's cart to like he sees himself putting it in and then he has to turn up and 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 fix this shit he actually gets to well he he appears in the scene here steals some clothes to try and make himself look like a a normal person but actually ended up looking like a deeply adult hobo she talks to him and he says that you know my mom i'm just visiting her is just the kindest person i've ever met and they play it earnest and straight and again fantastic performances from Mirabel Verdu, who's just playing everything as as sincerely as possible. Reminding me of Diane Lane, who was well cast as Clark's mother. And the fact that all the wackiness tended to happen with Barry 2 means that we can focus on this Barry 1 being very much in pain, and Ezra Miller does an excellent, crushed, almost hopeless performance in saying goodbye. It's a genuine sacrifice of the kind that time travel stories can really do sometimes, because You've got one party who has no idea what the other party's giving up. (laughs) 
so Barry One runs back in time to uh, wind up in his world, uh, after all, and uh, there's a neat little moment where he uh, goes to replace the uh, pasta sauce he's just taken from her back onto the shelf, and then goes, aha, because he looks at the uh, camera, and um, then goes to the uh, hearing of his uh, father's trial, uh, turns up late, because every, much like Spider-Man, everyone's always chastising him for being late. He's got these obnoxious co-workers. But because he put the Dolmio on the top shelf, now his dad looks up to actually get it, which exonerates him. And here's the rub, folks. I've just told you about a two and a quarter hour movie that so frequently takes the face of who's actually in the scene and replaces it with a digital face. And although vintage video footage from 18 years ago is admissible in court and would have been examined by editing experts to see if it had been tampered with, it feels like an odd plot-bearing prop again when your viewing experience is I'm expected to believe that this is that person, but everything about my eyes tells me that's not that person. It's just a little thing, and it doesn't bother me anywhere near as much as the M. Night Shyamalan endings where they go, see, it's on video on YouTube, therefore everybody believes it. We're watching time traveling TikToks today, and it's there's a lot, a lot going on over there. Time traveling being just one of the many stuffs. We've got conspiracy TikToks, horror TikToks. The following is a video that was sent to me by a time traveler who claims to be in the year 2059. In the year 2059 is very hot because the earth has no protection over it. The sun rays go directly down to earth and actually affect dramatically the world's population. When I asked him why send the video footage to us, he replied to me because in order to save humanity you must stop everything that you are doing. Please stop drinking grape soda. We can't get any more detail on that. Just stop drinking it. As far as sodas that have the power to eradicate humankind, grape soda wouldn't have been my first guess. It would have been root beer. That shit is rancid. There's no way it isn't destroying the ozone. When humans reached the moon for the first time, they did encounter some of the Marchulians. And in fact, humans mixed with Marchulians and had babies. Those babies went back to Earth on a secret capsule. This whole account is just really bad CGI or a screen grab of a futuristic looking video game while he talks over it about something bizarre that happens in the future. Huge events are gonna take place, but what about future technologies? Are we gonna have flying cars soon? Or the internet in our brains? Or maybe ankle socks that don't end up around your toes? I brought this, do you know what this is? Looks like a pen to me. Well, that's where you'd be wrong. This is actually a stabilizer or anti-stabilizer. So if I were to put this on your head, Mm -hmm. It would destabilize your brain and just kill you. None of that. We just get slightly more dangerous pins. Do you have any other type of technology? Uh... Let me see... Do you know what this is? Mm, no, I don't know what that is at all. Alright, so this. If you throw it... They can destroy the whole universe. I love how it seems like they didn't plan this at all and they're just improvising because as far as things that I think would be difficult to make up on the spot, the entire future of our planet is pretty high up on the list. Do you know what this is? This contains all the DNA from other extraterrestrials during my time. Wow. It's off right now. Thank God it's off. But if I were to turn it on per se, I could go through all- I think you just turned it on though. The extraterrestrials and I, I just slap it like this, I get their DNA and I turn it into them and I have all their powers. That that comes in handy for like if you have to fight someone 
Yes. If you have to fight someone, that's the most appropriate situation you could come up with. You know how when you get into a fist fight at a bar and you just... Summon all the aliens in the universe? Hey, that's my seat. No, it's not. Yes, it is. What are you... Jesus Christ. Okay, you can have the seat. This mini thing right here? It's from the future. Believe it or not. It's from, yes, it's from the future. It's my time travel device. So it's a hundred bucks. It's a mini time travel. And after like 10 uses, it gets wasted of all its um energy. So just to recap, in the future, our time machines will look like Samsung battery packs and inflation is going backwards. A hundred dollars for a literal time machine that you can only get 10 uses out of before it dies. Like a vibrator you bought from Wish. That was the YouTuber Chad Chad. One of the funniest, driest wits I have ever experienced. I recommend you all subscribe to her channel immediately. She illustrates, among other things, that we probably shouldn't believe wholesale everything on the internet. Also, that video gives me good reason to pray that time travel is literally impossible because we, as a species, cannot get our hands on that. I don't trust people to responsibly handle a truck, a shotgun, a gender reveal party without burning down California. My God, my God, the fuck it uppedness of reality. Yeah, honestly, the uh, putting a face on someone else, uh, for me, in, in the stunt context, you remember where the, uh, uh, the raptor drop in the original Jurassic Park, where the stunt woman looks up and it has briefly got the face of Ariana, um, the girl who played Lex. Mm. That's excellent use of it, to not endanger a little kid. Um, at one point, they have to get a baby out of a not-plugged-in microwave in this that Barry's... Barry put the baby in the microwave yeah, so no, that no, it no, would it. be able to pass through fire. Um, and I'm like, it's Indiana Jones in the fridge all over and again. And I'm like, that's the Twilight baby, and good. Because I don't want to think of them putting a newborn baby in a microwave because you've got to make the shot look right. For stunt work, absolutely. For a brief cameo where they're not talking and it's like, hey, it's that person. Like, Adam West is in our film, and maybe even like rescue a bit of Adam West talk for like a little bit, mm. absolutely. For an actual character who's going to be there for a long time, like say, oh, I don't know, picking a name out of a hat, Indiana Jones. More on that next time, folks. We are nowhere near that in terms of performance. And I don't think we'll ever be at a state where it is a solid trade for a really great physical performance mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. For when it comes to actual acting, speaking, emoting on the face, unless they're playing a monkey or something and they've got to put a monkey's face on well, a man. The thing is, if you look at examples, because there are, there are fucking numerous examples throughout film history where they have had to make a performance out of somebody who has passed away and can no longer do the thing that Oliver you need Reed them to Gladiator. do. Oliver Reed in Gladiator. Oliver Reed in Gladiator. Carrie Fisher in Rise of Skywalker. From the writer of Batman v Superman and Justice League. Tickets on sale Friday at Fandango.com. And, and with that, there wasn't even... Uh, all right, there's occasional moments of CG, but that's generally to do with stunt situations. But in terms of her actual performance, they were putting actual footage of Carrie Fisher that they had up against other people's responses and it didn't match. You can see the joins. Yeah. She was talking to Harrison Ford in all of those cases. Harrison Ford's character's been dead for years. So anyway, yeah, that's a, a brief diversion of it's odd that a film that swaps out so many faces manages to actually succeed in the end with its legal ramifications with this person's face is where it needed to be. Fuck, if I was married to Mirabel Verdu, I know where my face would need Batman to be. Batman doesn't do that.
briefly, Barry has to go and explain this shit to Arthur Curry. This is actually the stinger at the very end of the credits. I was the only person who saw it. And Arthur is paralytically drunk. Like, they're staggering out of a club, and Arthur just keeps falling over, and he gives Barry an Atlantean treasure to buy him more beer. And I'm like, this is supposed to be funny, but Arthur, you've got problems. Like, th this is serious. I'm worried about you, brah. Like, th this is something that is just before an intervention. Is that going to be what Aquaman 2 is about? That all these superheroes still left in the DCAU sit Arthur Curry down and go, Arthur, you are soused all the time. It's, it's a serious problem. You insulted my grandmother, Arthur. You drank my perfume, Arthur. You palmed my ring, Arthur. The British royal family want their yacht back, Arthur. Your tidal wave destroyed the Galapagos Islands, Arthur. No, the other yacht. You sat on Ace the Bat Hound, Arthur. You puked into the Phantom Zone, Arthur. All right, all right. I have a problem. Now, anyone got a brewski on them? <laughs> you guys are harsh in my buzz. No! no. So this is, this is, he is Aquaman and this is post-Aquaman 1? Yes. Ooh, bad shit happened. It would seem so. Like, they're not playing it for tragedy, but the way he's like face down in a puddle, I'm like, God, at least like turn him over if you don't want him to swallow his tongue. <laughs> well, like he was, he was like that at the beginning of Aquaman 1 a little bit. And the point of it was that it was because he couldn't embrace who he really was. You're supposed to be the king of Atlantis exactly. at this point. You're getting bladdered in a bar? But as Barry exits the courthouse and uh, Iris West comes over to him and is like, hey, you should ask me out for dinner sometime. Barry's like, um, you want to go for dinner sometime? Yes. Thus aligning the comic chronology wherein the two of us become a thing. Also, it's not mentioned in the film, but Iris has a brother named Wally West. you got a future Flash coming up. And they left it very much in a... I was expecting it to be like the Flash comes bursting back in and now everything's different. And it's like, everything's different. And what does that mean? And the occurrence of Arthur Curry only suggests that the Atlantis movie coming later this year at least still takes place in this particular world, at least we would think. But then Bruce talks to uh, Barry on the phone, like, yeah, well, I'll meet up, and uh, well done for not screwing up time or for unscrewing up time. And he gets out of the car, and Barry's like, wait, wait, what? Who the hell are you? And George Clooney goes, what are you talking about? Credits. Now, Keaton's Batman was supposed to stay on as a mentor figure in this particular universe. If that's now Clooney's Batman, or Clooney's old Bruce Wayne, that's something I've been asking for for years. I, I would expect we'll never see him again, because I never get what I want. I never get what I want. But I would be fine with more Clooney as Bruce Meanwhile, Wayne. Meanwhile, Ben Affleck sat going, so you're telling me I grow up to be George Clooney? Well, there's worse things to happen. He doesn't grow up to be George. <coughs> He's not just gotten older. It's a completely different Bruce. I know, I know. But yeah, as, as you said, Sharon, the placement of that Dolmio is absolutely, it's a nexus point of it the is, universe. Yeah. So that's the Flash. I think here's my uh, countdown of the actual movies. And again, I thought this was supposed to be scrapping the whole Snyderverse and setting it to one side, and then like they'd end at a point where it's like, okay, we've got a new Batman who is question mark, maybe it's Robert Pattinson, and we've got a new Superman who is whoever gets the job from James Gunn, and Gal Gadot question mark. 
So it, it kind of feels a bit like they've got a sieve full of grit mm. and they're going, there's some nuggets of gold in here somewhere, I swear. But honestly, they, they were talking about it in terms of, uh, more recently, in terms of there'll be a Flash 2 if this one does really well. And it's like, is it also going to be fucking with time? Are we also going to have to wait 10 years right. for it? Stop doing this. I mean, I know they're never going to. But stop doing this thing where we'll do another one if this one is received well enough. No. Do you have another story to tell? If not, stop. Most of all, though, Ezra Miller needs to stay in rehab and just stay out of the limelight at this point. Release them from any obligation. If anything, that stinger at the end with Aquaman probably shouldn't have Ezra Miller there. And if it does, it shouldn't be being played for comedy. John Mulaney's recent comedy show was all about his own intervention, and it wasn't funny. I am sitting there in an awful chair, crashing from cocaine. No one will let me go to the bathroom to freshen up. And the funniest people in the world are staring at me, refusing to do jokes. Fred Armisen was serious. He didn't do a character or a voice. He was just like, hey, John, I'm really worried about everything that we're going through. And I was like, ah, next, next. My plan was to destabilize the leader lady. If I could get the others to question her authority, I thought the whole thing would fall apart like a house of cards. I was hoping eventually they'd be like, I don't know, the haircut, the confidence? Maybe we should make him the leader and send this lady to rehab. At one point, I was standing at an open window chain smoking in December in New York City. You know the way a sober person would. And I looked at her and I said, were you even prepped for me? <laughs> and she said, yes, but everyone said you were very nice. Okay, so ranking them. Uh, very bottom, Wonder Woman 1984. Next one, Justice League Snyder Cut for that bitter, bitter poisoned ending. Mm -hmm. Hate it. Then Man of Steel, then Batman v Superman, which is actually more entertaining than Man of Steel. There's more stuff going on. Man of Steel, I just, I look back and I think steely, grey, boring, 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 yeah, boring. Yeah, no, I get it. I know every Beautiful time Beautiful Hans Zimmer score, but then so's I say, Batman v like, Superman. There is a handful of good bits in Man of Steel that you could snip out and then you point out that, yes, but it is only a handful and it's a very long movie. Hmm. Uh, then we've got uh, Suicide Squad with Jared Leto. Then Justice League, the Whedon cut. A lot of, a lot of these ranked lists have a, a different director for Justice League makes it a different film. And I'm like, fucking fair enough. Well, given that the things that you hate the Snyder cut for are not in the Whedon cut at all, I would Bingo. say that in this instance that is fair enough. Yeah. Then The Suicide Squad, the James Gunn one that everybody loved. I was like, ah, did you have to be so callous with so many people and their lives? And this could have been so much more and... I just, I'm not feeling the love that Guardians got. Mm. And also the whole not watching Birds of Prey. Then Black Adam. Then Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Those two are pretty close because it's just both of them are the failure of the Shazam story to become a thing. Mm. Popped in two different directions and kind mm. of fizzled in both. But honestly, the, the, the cuteness of the Shazam squad, and even if it's adults pretending to be kids, uh, it, was, it, it puts it above Black Adam. Mm. Then there's Justice League, the shortcut. Because uh -huh. if they're listing different directors and editors for the other two, my version, which combines the best of both and removes the things that fucking suck, technically I've got to put it on my list. Okay. Then there's The Flash, this one. Probably the most Justice League of all the films so far, honestly. Mm. Uh, then there's Shazam, then there's Wonder Woman, then there's Birds of Prey, and then there's Aquaman, pending seeing Aquaman 2. 
much like Birds of Prey was lessened as a result of uh, The Suicide Squad, Aquaman 2 may collapse face down into a puddle. Mm. We don't know. Yes. So it's fair to say then that the top five you actively like. Yes. Number six is something you tried to redeem from something you didn't like, and then everything else is just... Underachieving. It goes from underachieving to utter wreck and failure. Mm. I just got to the end of uh, Bob Chipman's really long revisit of all of the material he put out on this universe, the whole way through the past 10, or even longer, further away, years, it went into hours and hours in a multi-part series called Martha Box. And it was depressing as hell for him to finish at the end and just report that none of this mattered. That all of that effort he put in did not amount to anything. A point he raised was that just because Marvel were doing it doesn't mean that that's a reason to do it. But ultimately the way executives work is they see something that's doing really well financially and they say, what have we got that we can replicate that with? Yeah. I'd say that there are brighter stories ahead of the DC movies than there are behind it. And frankly, I don't mind if they make movies that really don't appeal to me. It's not about me. I want them to make good movies. Frankly, I want them to make great movies. I have absolutely no interest in conflict between Marvel and DC. I am not going to encourage aggressive tribalism while fawning over multinational corporations who are not your friend. Case in point, right now, it feels like Marvel overall are doing badly, and I wish they would do better. And I hope that the Marvels and Blue Beetle and Aquaman 2 are all excellent. And I also hope that James Gunn is able to succeed and keep his sanity, because he is in an unenviable position. Imagine being the person not only charged with untangling the mess that DC are now mired in, but somehow win back public approval as the audiences dwindle and putter out, including for your directed feature due to the pandemic, launching it simultaneously on HBO Max on TV, and the general poisoning of the DC well, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad did really badly at the box office. Cost 185 million, made 168 million. Oof. It's so much more difficult a task than just the planning stages, which DC took decades to implement and wound up with Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Which reminds me of something Bob said back in 2016 on our podcast about that studio-meddled, multi-buggered Zack Snyder project. For something they spent 20 years trying to make, mm -hmm. and then three years actually shooting, is they, they delayed this a year. Yeah. You know, when they first announced this at Comic-Con, they said, this will be out next year. And then a year later, they went, you know what? We need more time. This, this, this is, we, we need more time to get this shit right. And uh, for, for something that's long, so much of it seems to have been put together as an afterthought hmm. and a very sloppy production. It's complicated because, you know, it's, it's very easy to say that well, if you're adapting something, you're adapting it, and any amount of changes you want to make is is fine. But you know, to to do the hackiest thing possible and use a food metaphor here, eventually a pizza is no longer a pizza. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. It's more pasta now than pizza. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's there's a point at which the pizza, the the the, the dish gets so deep and the crust gets so uh, soft that it's now a lasagna. 
As you folks all know, I love food metaphors, and that was a good one. That's The Flash, did not expect to like it as much. Did not expect it to be as much of a character piece as it was. Even if the only character really in this is Barry. Barry and Barry. And there's a lot more to it than just fan service, which is commendable in this day and age, where entire movies can be made and make a billion dollars by effectively just giving us a story we already know, as much as a setup equals a story, and authentic prop, costume, and set design, which boils down to... Do you, I recognize that, I recognize that, I recognize that, I recognize that, I recognize that. Okay, so I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's out. I was like trying to think, what does the Flash say? Gotta go fast. As always, School of Movies is brought to you by Patreon. You keep us going the way burritos keep Barry Allen going. So as a special treat, gotta go fast. Thank you to our top tier sponsors, Aaron LeCluze, Abel Savard, Alejandro Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finn Bond, Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clawson, Joe Gluck. You know, a lot of Benjamin Wolfish's music actually reminds me of John Williams. This is a composer to watch. Kat Eswin, Kevin Bailly, The Rangers and Multipole Meyer, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasko, Toby Skills, Jungius, Tim Wazenski, Timothy Green, Tom Painter, Timu Hellas, Hayu, and Sarah Montgomery. 